0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and thanks for joining us again today on Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Continuing our series, The Triumph of the Lamb, we'll be looking at Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 to 9, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Bowls of God's Wrath.
1: I don't know what you think it's going to be like when God overthrows this world and brings in universal judgment. I know some of you simply reject the idea, and the reason is simple. You can't imagine a God who would do that. And others are terrified by it, and still others kind of relish it, because this is the time for evil people to get their due. Now, you think that because you're convinced that your righteousness is enough. You think what God has given us. You know, he created our physical body, which includes our intellect and our five senses, the ways in which we interact with the world. We're a marvel of his engineering. But of course, God has given us so much more. The physical environment around us, including the air we breathe and the food we consume and the raw materials, which we transform into things that better our lives. I mean, all of this is his gift in the earth that he fashioned. And furthermore, God has made us as relational beings so that out of this grow things like love, marriage, friendship, camaraderie. And instead of worshiping the Creator and giving Him endless thanks for His gifts, we have worshiped the creation. Indeed, we did more. We refused to give the Creator the thanks He was due. But since we were created to worship, well, we began to worship things—ourselves, nature, the planetary orbs, the animals, anything but the Creator who has blessed our lives. The one thing we forgot is that the Creator owns everything, including the natural, physical world, and He owns our lives as well. And so, we have not, nor can we ever, escape Him. I want to stop here and make sure we don't miss what I've just said. See, very often when judging someone— We think about whether they're generous or whether they treat others with respect, whether they care for their fellow man and how they treated their spouse, their children, participated in the community, volunteered for causes, cared for the environment. I mean, that's the usual list. But what's left out is the praise, thanks, and worship that we owe our Creator. That is, it's been popular to talk about sin and righteousness without mentioning God. And because of that, most of us don't know what we're talking about, and and we're shocked about the anger of God over sin, and we're unconcerned about our true moral condition. Now, the book of Revelation, when properly understood, belongs as the last book in our Bible. Having started with God's act in creation, then moving to the great rebellion, human beings determined to live without God. And so, the Bible ends in the book of Revelation by God reclaiming that which was always His and that which He had never lost. When we come to Revelation 16, we come to a section of the book in which the long war against God comes to an end. God will visit the earth with the last of His judgments, and with that, the kingdoms of this world will simply collapse. The war against God will be over. God wins. Now, there are those, when interpreting the book of Revelation, argue that the three cycles of seven in the book, that is, the breaking of the seven seals, then followed by the sounding of seven trumpets, and then finally the pouring out of seven bowls, that these three cycles of seven are, in fact, simultaneous events. So, they argue that what we have in Revelation is simply a repetition of God's judgment from three different vantage points. But if you've been following my approach to the book, now, I've argued that there are features in these three cycles that really make it impossible to see these events as simultaneous events. Rather, they should be seen as sequential events. See, I've argued that the breaking of the first six seals is a description of the spiritual warfare that exists from the time of the formation of the church until the time of the Great Tribulation. And furthermore, I've also argued that the contents of the seventh seal and the opening of the scroll is what is described in the seven trumpets. I've also argued that Revelation seems to describe that the rise of the Antichrist is somewhere around halfway through the tribulation. And then the sounding of the last trumpet signals that seven angels appear to pour out seven bowls of wrath on the earth, and with that the kingdoms of this earth or the kingdom of the Antichrist simply collapses. See, I might add here that when you compare the blowing of the seven trumpets with a pouring out of the seven bowls, you're going to immediately see that that even though there are similarities, the bowls of God's wrath are much more severe than what happens when the angels blow the trumpets. And furthermore, as we've seen, there's an interlude between the blowing of the sixth to the seventh trumpet. But when it comes to the bowls, well, there's no interlude between the pouring out of the sixth and the pouring out of the seventh bowl. That's because the seventh bowl of the wrath of God finishes off the Antichrist. And as we've already been told back in Revelation 15, verse 1, with the pouring out of these bowls of wrath, God's wrath is finished on the earth. Okay, let's begin. I'm reading Revelation 16one to 2. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful, painful sores came upon people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. You know, it's hard not to see the relationship between this event and compare this to the sixth plague in the account of the plagues in Egypt at the time of the Exodus. Moses was told to take handfuls of soot from a kiln and throw it into the air in front of Pharaoh, and it would become fine dust and break out onto boils on everyone. So I'm reading Exodus 9, verses 10 and 11. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it into the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and fell upon all Egypt. So central to this account is that throughout these plagues on Egypt, God had worked to protect Israel, and that seems central also here in Revelation. All of the advantages that the beast once bestowed on people are turned to disadvantage. At one point, the mark of the beast made you able to buy and sell, and now the mark of the beast causes boils to break out on you. And those who refuse the mark are spared by God. But who refused the mark? Well, you know, if we've read Revelation rightly, only those who preferred Christ over the beast. Ultimately, only Christ followers are left resisting the beast. I hope you see the application. It's there for all of us. No matter what advantage you might think you have by compromising your faithfulness to Christ, that advantage is short-lived. Eventually, this world is going to collapse, and all who love her will collapse with her. Now, please compare this first bowl with the blowing of the first trumpet. When the first trumpet sounded, one-third of the earth was burned up, and so the first trumpet brought destruction to the earth. But in contrast now, the first bowl is directed at those who worship the beast. Now to the second of the seven bowls of wrath. I'm reading Revelation 16, verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl onto the earth, and it became like blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. You know, like the first bowl, this second bowl also corresponds directly with one of the plagues in Egypt, and this one corresponds to the very first plague. In Exodus chapter seven, Moses and Aaron stand before Pharaoh, And Moses lifts up his staff and strikes the Nile, and the Nile turns to blood, and it kills off all the fish, making the Nile stink, and its water becomes undrinkable. And it should also be noted that when the trumpets were sounded in Revelation, the second trumpet resulted in one-third of the waters becoming blood. And that would cause great hardship on earth, but this second bowl, as I've said before, is far more severe. At this bowl, all of the oceans die. You know, every once in a while, you know, we hear about the disappearance of species and what that means for this planet. And some years ago, a great deal of effort was put into the harvest of whales trying to stop the practice. If this went on, we were told, all of the great animals of the deep would die. And what were the implications? But at the pouring out of this bowl in Revelation, all ocean life is dead. The entire oceans become a dead body of water. Nothing lives there at all. Now, how can anyone live if this happens? You know, it's my belief that the final seven bowls happen very quickly. One falls fairly quickly after the other. The earth itself is being killed not by pollution, hear me now, not by pollution, but by God himself. It's as if God is saying to human beings, you thought you owned this earth and that you could control it. You never understood that everything from the breath you breathed to the food you ate, to the water you drank at each and every moment was but a gracious gift that came from my hand to you. What if I take it back? What a horrifying moment this must have been for the kingdom of the beast.
0: The Partner to Tell monthly partner program was launched in 2012, and since then we've received blessing after blessing as people from every region in Canada have begun to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada with a regular ministry gift every month. The response has provided a wonderful financial foundation for ministry, and a confidence that the work that is being done is in a very real way impacting lives for the kingdom. This year, we're praying for an additional 100 partner-to-tell participants. Joining this group not only allows us to sustain ministry programming, but to prayerfully consider where the Lord would lead us next. Monthly partners are both a foundation and force for this ministry. We pray you would consider joining this incredible group of ministry friends today. All you need to do is call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: If the first two bowls of God's wrath seemed frightening enough, hang on. The third angel is about to pour out the contents of his bowl onto the earth, so I'm reading now Revelation 16, 4-7. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. You know, again, it's noteworthy to compare this third bowl with the sounding of the third trumpet. The third trumpet resulted in devastation, affecting one-third of the earth's fresh water. But now, with the pouring out of the third bowl, all of the earth's fresh water are poisoned. See, I can only imagine that at this point in time, the human death toll rises astronomically. Now in our day, that is the day in which we live, estimates are that around 10% of the Earth's population does not have access to safe drinking water. And furthermore, right now, about one in five deaths of children under the age of five is directly attributed to water-related disease. You know, it's for this reason that Christian relief agencies have long thought that giving people access to clean drinking water is essential for their long-term future. And in essence, we might argue that with the pouring out of this third bowl, we're already looking at a doomed planet. And so, as shocked as we might be by this event, we immediately hear an announcement. The announcement comes from an angel in charge of the waters. Now, nowhere else in the Bible do we hear of an angel in charge of the waters. And so, this passage is really curious. But back in Revelation 7 verse 1, we did read of four angels controlling the four winds. Well, because there's so little data about this, it's important not to build a Bible doctrine around this matter. But it does seem likely to me that God assigns various angels oversight of the ecology of the earth. Well, nonetheless, putting that matter aside, we do hear this angel saying that God's destruction of the fresh water is just. After all, the kingdom of the beast has been drinking the blood of the martyrs. And now God says, you know, if it's blood you like so much, it's blood you get. And with that, the altar itself speaks. Remember that earlier, John had depicted the martyrs as being under the altar, and now the altar, which has seen a steady influx of martyrs constantly coming, that altar itself speaks. Yes, indeed, God is just. This is what the kingdom of the Antichrist deserves. And after the third bowl has been poured out, we've argued that the kingdom of the Antichrist is now doomed. But here's a little truth about what the Bible says about this earth. This earth will not die with a whimper. It will end with a shout of the triumphant return of Jesus Christ. And so I do think that this passage does speak about today's concerns regarding the environment. No Christian, I would think, would be in favor of treating the creation with contempt. God has given us not only a world of resources, many of them are renewable resources, but God has also charged human beings with care for those resources. And it's for that reason that it's right and good to make sure that in our governance of the earth, that we leave renewable resources for the next generation. Well, there's so much to that. But here's my concern with much of the present-day environmental movement. See, many speak of the earth as if it were sacred, rather than speaking of the Creator as if He were sacred. See, the reason God will destroy this creation is because men and women preferred the creation to the Creator who is forever blessed. See, this creation only exists when the Creator blesses it. and You can recycle all you want and drive an electric car, but when the Creator curses this planet, this planet will die. Well, very well, we come now to the fourth angel and the bowl that he pours out onto the earth. So I'm reading Revelation 16, verses 8 to 9 the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of god who had power over these plagues they did not repent and give him glory so would you notice again that little phrase the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire it was permitted to do this see i want you to think deeply about that statement when the rain comes on this good earth and waters it and vegetation grows Do you know why it is that it rains? It rains because a good God in providential care has allowed the rain to come. And especially for us who live in the northern parts of this world, we begin to notice that when the winter begins to fade and the sun returns in greater strength and warms the earth, spring is underway and the trees begin to bloom and flowers grow and farmers are busy planting their seed, for now the earth awakens and life is popping up everywhere. See, I can't help every spring to remember the promise that God gave to Noah, that while the earth remains, springtime and harvest and summer and winter and day and night, all of that is never going to cease. This does not happen because nature functions on its own, but because a good God orders the seasons and commands the earth to spring to life. But when the fourth angel pours out his bowl, not on the earth but on the sun, Suddenly, the strength of the sun changes dramatically. You know, scientists already know that solar flares actually have an impact on the surface temperatures of the earth. God now not only curses the earth, he curses the sun. It now seems out of control. The regular, predictable patterns of seasons have been broken as the heat on earth becomes unbearable. Imagine a world where everyone has human sores, where where waters of the earth are dead and the heat is unbearable. John says at this point in time, that people on the earth begin to curse God. It seems like all of the pretense is now gone. They might have forgotten God in the past when his ordering of nature made their lives pleasant. Then they lived without him, and they gave thanks to the gods of wood and stone, and they worshiped nature itself. But at the very point in time when the good earth becomes a cursed earth, the human response is not to curse the earth. Rather, what follows is cursing of God. You know, cursing as a whole is not only evil, but like all evil, it's very interesting. I mean, why is it that most cursing is against God? I mean, the name of Jesus has long been abused. A man hits his finger with his hammer. It's an accident. And his first response is not to curse his inattention. is to curse the God who has allowed such a thing to happen. You know, before, when his hammer blows hit the nails perfectly, well, he took no thought of worshiping God for the skill God had placed into his body, but now his sinful mind finds no restraint as he raises his voice and utters curses against God loudly. And given this pattern of sinful fallen humanity, we find the human race acting on a grand scale after the very pattern it has followed throughout its history in the millions and millions of small ways it has acted out every day. See, the end times, Well, they're but an intensification of what we've always done. But John has still not done his description of the human plight during this deadly hour. He says, they did not repent and give him glory. You know, it seems in these desperate last days of the kingdoms of men, in these days when the kingdom of Antichrist is crumbling, and when all the proud boasting of the human race is coming to nothing, men still will not repent. The very heart of all human sin is hatred of God. The very fact that we owe God an infinite debt of gratitude, which begins with our debt to worship Him and carries on in our debt, that we humble ourselves before Him and submit to His commands. I mean, All this is offensive to fallen, sinful humanity. From the time of Adam's sin until now, we have wanted to pretend that we really are the gods, lords of the earth, able to harness the earth and make it serve our purposes and not God's purposes. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord's, fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Yes, the earth has always been the Lord's. We're always merely tenants. And strange tenants indeed. Not only were we renting, our rent was paid by our landlord. Such was the grace in our arrangement. But we've lied to ourselves and told ourselves the building belongs to us. And so, when the time is up, the owner tears his building down in order to build a new one, renewed, made perfect, fit for his purpose, in which he offers all who love him free rent for all eternity. <laughs> and under these circumstances, all the fallen kingdom of Antichrist can do is curse and utterly refuse to acknowledge that which is obvious. The earth is the Lord's, and it is not ours. What a lesson! What a blessed matter! to repent of our sins, to acknowledge that we need God's forgiveness, that we have not offered to God what we owe to God, an infinite debt of gratitude, for thanks, for all that God has done for us. You know, if that's you, why don't you start today? Begin by thanking God that he is God and that he has cared for your life. You owe him an infinite debt of gratitude. Then ask him to forgive you for all those times where you have not been grateful as you ought to have been.
0: John, this brings up the issue of of creation and environmentalism and all those types of things, because there is a real tension there between uh, taking care of what God has provided for us, but recognizing that it'll all come to naught one day.
1: Yeah, it will all come to naught. In the end, God will make a new heaven and a new earth. But we do want to remember that the earth that God has created, when he was done, he said, it is very good. And uh, God has created a good earth. And on this good earth, he is working out his plan of redemption. So, I mean, we don't take for granted all of the blessings that come to us within this earth. But when we do so, and that was my point, we should not look at the earth and give glory to the earth. We should give glory to the creator of the earth. And that's so important because once we start worshiping the creation rather than the creator, well, we incur the curse of God.
0: Thanks, John, and remember to join us again right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. I don't suppose it's difficult to imagine that one of Dr. Neufeld's most popular series is his teaching on the book of Revelation. Dr. Neufeld has taken an expositional approach to this series in the first two volumes, including chapters one to 11. Now this month, for the very first time, we air The Triumph of the Lamb, volume three, teaching chapters 12 to 17. Message titles include The Greatest War in Human History, The Woman and the Dragon, On Eagle's Wings, and The Beast. Join us this month for the first airing of Volume 3, and if you'd like the series on CD for your own library, for a limited time we'll be offering all 15 messages of Volume 3 for only $17, and that includes shipping and handling. Volume 1 and 2 are also available, so call us today for yours or to support this Bible teaching ministry with an important financial gift. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit
1: backtothebible.ca.